Burks, help me out here already. See, okay, I think we're good. Mature biblical hope. Sound familiar? Maybe last week on Sunday morning. Culminates, culminates to hope, true biblical hope. Mature biblical hope. It culminates in unshakable and effectual confidence and optimism in God despite. Sound familiar? In fact, the means by which God gives His people hope, there were two things that were mentioned last week. They were past reminders and future promises. You knew those answers. You were just kind of holding back, right, on that? Okay, let me say it again. Mature biblical hope culminates in unshakable, effectual confidence and optimism in God despite. And the means by which God gives His people hope is through past reminders and future promises. And through those is that we have this privilege by having God's Word to literally see His faithfulness in God's, the lives of God's people. Now let me ask you a question. Is there a key verse in Scripture that is a transformational verse for you personally, that you've just you've grabbed hold of it, and it becomes a life verse that is just always in the frontals of your mind that serves not only as a past reminder, but gives you this true biblical perspective of hope and promise. Doesn't you have that verse? Anyone? Share? Okay. Any specific verse in, in that psalm, Chris? Stands out the whole thing, right? Great. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith. Philippians wants to I don't know that one by heart, so you've got to help me out. <laughs> You'll complete it. Yeah. Yeah. George, anything you want to share about your verse? It's just that you said it's a life sort of verse in there. Well, right. I mean, Another. Yes. John 16. Praise God for that. Amen. Julie? In these verses, and this is the, the, the depth of Scripture, the Holy Spirit will take a, His Word and it can transform us through that verse. And I want to just I wanna give you a couple examples of those. Because I'm going to pick a verse today for Peter. He's not here today. But I'm going to pick a verse from Luke. I'm going to say, well, this is a, if he was to say, what is that transformational verse? I'm going, to, I'm going to take a guess at it, okay? But I want to give you what I mean by some, a transitional verse that's transforming. And so, I have a lot of Bible verses, so get your Bible ready, because we're going to be flipping through this page. I want you to turn, first of all, to Luke chapter 9. And I want to give you one that's going to be a, a, a transforming verse and a re, huge perpetual reminder for all of, its, all of our, us as readers of Scripture as it relates to Christ, okay? As it relates to Christ. And it's not much of a verse, but when you look more and more about it and you understand the context of the book of Luke, it's Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Someone read that, please. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. That's simple. Now, why is that a transformational verse? I'll read it, I'll read it back. Thanks, Mary. It says in verse... 51. Now it came to pass, and I'm reading New King James, by the way. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him, Jesus, to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Period. It is a transformational verse 
purely from the context, from beginning of chapter 1 of Luke all the way through the last verse of chapter 24. Because it is at that very point where Christ's ministry was clearly as a dividing line. Because at this point, what did Christ do? Is that He set His face to Jerusalem. To what? To die. Up to this point, you see, he was, his ministry was just getting started. And in 9 verse 51, if you were to split Luke right down the middle, there it is. And that verse turns him. And what I love about that verse is that it represents Christ, the steadfastness of He in pursuit of fulfillment of that, ultimately, His death and His resurrection. It serves, that, like a verse like that, should serve purposely from an application standpoint for you and I as a life verse even that can get us from what? Right. And often we get all the distractions because you know all of the distractions that occurred and all of the, the rejection and all of those, including his own disciples and our friend Peter even, that said, Lord, no, Lord, may it, may it not happen to you. And it's, get behind me, Satan. He steadfastly set himself to go to Jerusalem. Okay, what would be that life verse? That transforming verse? I'm just picking it out. Why? Because it's mine too. It's a perpetual reminder every single day for me because what I share with Peter is hope by divine grace. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Familiarize yourself with what's in chapter 22 briefly looking at maybe just a few verses ahead. I'm going to read 60, 61. Jesus has been arrested. They led him and brought him to the high priest's house. And Peter had followed at a distance. He denies Christ. We know that. Three times. And then it picks up in verse 60 with the third denial. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so Peter, he went out and he wept bitterly. True biblical hope culminates in unshakable, effectual confidence and optimism in God despite denial. And the means by which God gives His people hope is past reminders. And there it is. He remembered the Word of the Lord. And you know what? I'm going to tell you why it's, a, it's the life verse for Peter. It's the transforming verse. It's the only passage in the Gospels that clearly reflects the fact that the Lord turned and looked at Peter out of the other Gospels. So apparently is that Peter was within an eyeshot of Jesus. When I was a little kid and I kind of did something maybe just a little bit wrong, first thing I'd, you know, you'd kind of look up and you'd see if anyone's looking, right? you do it like this. And you know, my mom, my dad, if they were looking at you, busted. And it just pierced. And I want to tell you that this look is that everything came into full understanding at that very point. Peter remembered. And you see, I want to tell you this. This is why I connect so well to a character 
a person like Peter. Because the true Peter is not seen in the denial. We all accept that. You see, the true Peter is in the repentance. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. That's the true Peter. It was a transformational point in his life. I truly believe it just so happens that it's the end of Luke. (laughs) So I know it's true. Because I know I've read on, I have Scripture, and so I know what happens in Acts. That's coming next week. We're going to see the evidence of this transformation that's come out of this gentleman. Now for you and I, it's it's one of my key life verses too. Because for me, it reminds me. It reminds us of all of our weaknesses, our denials, literally that we can connect with specifically, even with Peter, but also... It connects us with the richness of true divine grace. Because we know the end of the story, don't we, Peter? That's just the intro of this. But when when I walk through some of those questions that you had there, we're going to talk briefly about them. But when you take that first verse, this is the, the richness of Scripture, is that God gives us faithful men and women in His Word for this very purpose. Now, just throw out, give me some some of the people that just were key people that you connect with in Scripture. And give me a, just go ahead, let's get a couple of them as examples, please. I always love to hear how God works. Paul. All the guys, yeah, we like those guys. Definitely, yeah. Past reminders. Future hope and promises. Ruth. Others. Mm. You know, let's take a place on the wall, right, George? You know, let's get a place. Let's step it up. These are verses that you can connect with, can't you? And these are always reminders for you. Isn't it personal? That's exactly the privilege that we have with the Holy Spirit that gives us those points. Well, what is our objective today? Our objective today is to examine how God used learning experiences in Peter's life. To transform him into a faithful leader and effective teacher. Well, you know, as I go through, and one of the things that Mark and I will be able to do is that we're going to be able to, when you start to unpack verse by verse the epistles, First and Second Peter, we're going to be constantly going back. And you're going to connect through the Gospels because you're going to see the transformation. And you're going to see, because one of the things that I love about Scripture is that we have it, one, but as, I, as you, Carl, you and I were talking, is that why First Peter? Why is it such a great set of epistles? Much like the epistles of Paul, is because there was passion. But I believe there's more to it. Is that what we can see is is that to, to appreciate that is you take the background as to what and for me it's the preparation. How did God prepare P- Peter for? those epistles. In other words, what we're going to talk about next week is that they're about suffering. First Peter, a key focus about suffering. And so the, how did God prepare a person to write about suffering that had really some wrong perspectives as we'll unpack next week? Well, let's continue on with this as we kind of go forward with it. In this, we'll look at many of those lessons. And I think that as, we, as you discussed in your your groups in there, you see the challenges that come through lessons that we've learned. And I believe that in many of those lessons, they really serve in great purposes by God to advance us and to mature us. 
And I think that part of it too is that God was preparing very clearly from Scripture that He was preparing Peter for leadership. Now, when you were to take the the listing of the to start with this to take the listing of Peter's background in, in this first section, and that these New Testament lists of the twelve apostles, what would be some? Of, and I've put them up here in this chart for you on your on your handout there is some of the lists, and I started with Luke as the benchmark since I spent a lot of time in Luke, and so I used that on the left in here, and I numbered them from 1 to 12, and then I went through Matthew and Mark and Acts as well, and listed them. And the number sequencing you see, for example, like when you look at Mark 3, 16, and 19, you see 1, 3, 4, it's because that is the order that you would find him in that book, and I just kept relating that to Luke. But the point is, is that you notice that there's some difference there. So, just some... Your observations. What would be some points of agreement that we can find in the lists? What would be some of those things that you see there? Okay, see him first on the list. There he is. Okay, others. Okay, there's a core group, and, and I sort of cheated a little bit. I kind of put a little, little thicker line, like right there. But if you were to see this first grouping, obviously you see these first, always these first uh, group. Peter, uh, Peter, Peter, Andrew, and James, and John are always listed in this first grouping. And then if you look at the next set of groupings, what do you notice from like 5 to 8? Okay, and who is at the point? Philip. Philip's always on that list first. Well, what else did you notice about the last grouping from 9 to 12? Okay, we see James in, in that grouping. Insane. Yeah, well, yeah. He is. He is insane. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. So we have just some of those key points. Now, let's, let's, first of all, let's just talk a little bit about other parts of was Peter part of this inner three of disciples? Because I think we identified that we have those first four that were all consistent. So was Peter one of the inner three of the disciples? And what would be something that you could say, yeah, and this is why I think that? Yeah, at, at the transfiguration, right? At the transfiguration, Jesus took up Peter, James, and John up the mountain um, to witness the transfiguration of Christ. Right. That was obviously a very special privilege. Okay? That's a great one. Others that you can think of that might emphasize or highlight this inner three. Peter, James, and John. They were right. During in in the Garden of Gethsemane, yes, uh, Matthew 17. Um, was the transfiguration. Matthew 26 is during Jesus in Gethsemane. They were there with him. They went with him beyond to pray. Others. Can you think of another one? They they were in the first grouping as they were identified in the order. The order is, the order is not always consistent, but to, I, what I believe is important there is that you look at that the fact that he did choose them at an early stage is that there's also this aspect of the inner circle is like, you know, come, come here, Linda, I, I gotta tell you something, you know, so you, you kind of, you know, you get it's into this special space of, you know, you. it's like I'm sure they felt very important in that. Another one is, is that, we, do you remember when Jairus' daughter, that they were called in to witness the raising of Jairus' daughter? So these are examples, and I would say is that they did exist among there, and it really serves, in many respects, as an inner circle of leadership that Jesus had established. So I think that there's some truth, as we see within Scripture, that why did he choose those three in there? 
Yeah, on that, let's we'll talk about some of the things that you identified about Peter. But you know what? Hey, they all like they all like to hang out because they know fishing, right? They're friends. They were very close, and so there was some commonality, literally, within the occupation. What were some of the other things that you can tell us about Peter? Is one of the questions in there? Just throw out some things, the facts that you had identified to one of those questions there. Son of Jonas, right? Andrew, his brother, is the one that brought him to. I'm going to get to that verse. It's in John. It's a great verse where the brother brought, introduced him to Jesus. Great. So we know he's got a brother. He was married. Right. In Acts, actually, it talks about Jesus taking his, I mean, not Jesus, but um, Peter taking his wife on ministry. Um, other facts he might have come up with in your group. He did. That's a very important point. And I wonder why. Yeah, he's called the rock. It's, you know, sort of like a rock is, is a pretty, pretty impressive name. We'll come back to that. It's, it's better than, you know, I'm going to call you stubborn. <laughs> call him rock. So there's hope behind that. We'll hold that thought. It's a great thought. We've got to get back to that. It's a Galilean. What about that? Is that I, I know that, but what do you know about Galileans? Yeah, you know what, too? You know those Galileans. You know, they, you know, they don't go to college or anything. I mean,. They're not like us up here, you know. They're like north of Route 80, you know. They're they're down that way, downstaters, you know. And it's there's one of my uh, one of my favorite movies back in the early 80s was The Right Stuff. You know, if you remember, The Right, right Stuff was about this aeronautical, uh, t- you know, program that they established to try to uh, prepare these astronauts. You know, and so um, one of the particular people that was there was this Chuck Yeager. You know, Chuck Yeager was not ever selected as part of this Mercury project because he didn't go to college. The Galilean is important in this because he was a commoner. In fact, would you say that that was the case for all of the disciples? Jesus didn't pick a Pharisee, didn't pick a priest, didn't pick a key key teacher or leader. Chose commoners. What other facts or things you could throw out? Bob? Exactly what yeah, that's a great point. What Bob's saying is that that's going to be one of the learned attitudes and lessons that Peter is that because Peter would say, you know, Jesus, you don't have to pay taxes. I mean, you're you're Jesus, and Jesus taught him a lesson about submissiveness to literally civil authority at that point. Other other thoughts? Yeah, there's a lot behind that statement of the rock, and, and uh, you're right. This is this point that we're, they think about. The fact is, is that when you, this is Jesus, Jesus knows it. And in that passage in John 1, when we see that name change, when you look a few verses down from there, and what you see is when it starts to speak about Nathaniel, Jesus speaks about Nathaniel's character before he even met him. So for Jesus to call you rock, he's got a plan. You don't know it yet. Why were these men, these apostles, Peter is one of them, why were these men important? Well, a few of these verses, they may come to you. First one is in Ephesians 5. You don't have to go through these. I'll I'll go through this grouping a little bit quicker for you. But in Ephesians 5, they receive truth. This is this uh, revelation or the revealed by the Holy Spirit their fault. The second thing is that in Acts 2.42, as you know, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship. They were a source of doc- doctrine. Ephesians 4, 11. 
is in that verse it says he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some as pastors, teachers for what? For the equipping of the saints. And so to edify the church. Second Corinthians twelve, eleven and twelve. Paul writes, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds for the purpose of authentication. To authenticate that there was order from their authority to be able to even have great power from God. Now, what were some of their problems? This is where I can connect on all of these. The first one is that they lacked spiritual understanding. In Luke 24, 25, it talks about, Jesus specifically says to the disciples, to these apostles, that you are, quote, slow of heart to believe. And in Matthew 15, there's another compliment verse to this, Peter says, Jesus, explain this parable to me. He didn't understand. Didn't understand. They lack spiritual understanding. We understand that now purely because of, obviously, the lack of what? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There was a selective indwelling that Jesus managed. It was controlled. It wasn't until after Pentecost where he had the full power of the Holy Spirit indwelled at that point. But the fact was is that these men, the, the problem of it was that they lacked spiritual understanding. Now get this point. You and I share that, right? We have the Spirit. But, Here's the hope. This, by divine grace, this hope that we have is that God uses even our lack of understanding through the Spirit for greater understanding and purpose. One of the greatest joys is that you, you see it and you go, oh, I got it. Got it. Luke 9.46 This one I want you to turn to if you could. We're gonna, all of our verses are going to be in those Gospels. So if you have your Bibles like in that section... Of between like uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Luke chapter 9, verse 46. Someone can uh, just read verse 46 of that. They lacked humility. If you just do an eye, go backwards with your eyes, go look at the preceding verses in here. Jesus had just, just gone through all of this, and they were saying that, in other words, he had just completed, did some miracles. And he was teaching them, and going back to verse 43, and they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all the things which he said, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them. And so it speaks again to this lack of misunderstanding in the previous verse in there. And so they did not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. File that little piece of that last part of the verse away for a little bit later. Because what we're going to see about Peter is that Peter was not shy in asking the questions. But you see here that there was fear of asking the questions. You know how it is. Like you say, gosh, I hope someone else asks that question in class because I don't want to be embarrassed about asking it. This is clearly what's seeing here. Then it says that a dispute among them. They were... Prideful. All of a sudden, now pride to go and say, huh, we're, we're the elite 12. In fact, that's a great number. I mean, you know, the 12 tribes, I mean, this is, a, this is huge. We're in Jesus' group. And they started literally to, and Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, 
took a little child and set him by him. You talk about humility here as he takes the lowest, and that is a child, to teach him a lesson. They lacked humility. They lacked faith in Mark chapter 14, verse 50. And this is at the end here is that they, then all, it says in verse 50 of 14, it says, they all forsook him and they fled. They lacked commitment. They all forsook him and fled. They lacked commitment. I didn't make a, a highlight here because I'm going to use this transitional verse in Acts 1.8. But they, they had already experienced here in this, this verse in Acts 1.8, it was soon, it says soon they would be receiving His indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The power for witness was yet to come in Acts 1.8. But in that verse, they lacked power and spirit in that one. Well, let's go back to this verse that, that George mentioned and Carl mentioned, that he was the only one, that his name was changed in John chapter 1, verse 42. If you want to look, you can take a look at that. It's, it's, a pretty, it's really a short verse in there. But there's so much around it that it's, it merits just taking a look at it. Jesus sees in the hearts. And I want you to pick this up in here. If you go to a verse, just like what Bob was saying, Bob was mentioned earlier that Andrew had brought his brother. He says, one of, the, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. There's that invitation. Hey, that's an evangelistic verse if there ever is one, right? Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Is that Jesus sees into the hearts of man. If you look at sliding over to verse 47... And you start to see that, that the discourse continues and, and there's this discussion. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Jesus saw the heart of Nathanael. He sees into the hearts. And to this point, why that's a key verse, is because no one else got a different name. No other apostle got a different name. Do you got a nickname? Do you got a different name? It is declarative in its intent. It's declarative in how Jesus would transform him. You're exactly right. He will build, I I think you said that, John, he's going to build the church on this rock, this foundation. Not slippery sand. He didn't call him the sand man. He called him the rock. Cephas. You talk about a verse that kind of gets you pumped up. You know, it's kind of like, Carl, you're like a bulldog, man. You know, you, you kind of just get, get strong. And you start to build this up. You know, when I was coaching my years, you, know, you just get these kids, you get them all pumped up, you just say, man, you're an animal. Like this, and these kids all get cranked up, right? Lori always laughs when, you know, you, she's watching these football games that's going on, you know, and you're seeing people just beating each other in the head and yelling, screaming, grunting, and everything else. Just get them pumped up. Rock. Yeah. Why do you think, though, the Lord used his, his old name? And there were some key verses in here. This, is, this really merits, if you have the time, and I guess we could make the time. Take a look at these, since we're going to go to Luke 5, 4. What I was able to unpack, which is really interesting, is that there's this constant changing out of names. So, now, is he Peter, or is he, is he Rock? You know, is he Simon? 
Is he Simon Peter? Is he Cephas? When you look at Scripture, what you'll find out, based on the Gospels, is that you see this combination of names. Why couldn't the Holy Spirit just make it real simple? Change your name once, you're always Peter. Yeah, I'll be careful about that, jumping around. Take it easy, Dave. Okay, that's not going to go that way. That's all right. I'll develop. All right, what are your thoughts? Why do you think the Lord used his, his old name in somebody's Luke? Who's got Luke 5, 4? And if someone is, could look ahead and get 14, 37, and John 20, 1, 15, 7, someone could look at those. I just want you to read the verses. Let's listen, and then let's just make some observations, okay? So, can someone read Luke 5, 4? Okay, say that again. One more time, real loud. Went that to Simon, Potter, and let down. Okay, so he called him Simon. To let down your nets for a catch. Alright? Hold that thought. Let's go to Mark 14, 37. Clearly though, old name, right? right. Old name. Someone for Mark 14, 37. Whoa. That's got all the names in there. He said to Peter, not Simon. Are you sleeping? Okay, so you got observation of both there. Okay? And then John 21, 15 to 17. But you have that? Simon, Simon, Simon. Three times, right? Some observations. If you look there, is that every t- First of all, if you were to take a look, is when Scripture would define some like um, Simon's boat, Simon's house, Simon's mother-in-law. It's just Dave's house. You know, it's just the normal type of things. There are just that would be Simon's. And what you'll see in there is that when there's a change in names, he just named him Rock. Named him Peter. So why did he go back? Is that when we start to see a scripture was that when there is doubt, when he doubted Jesus in some of these passages, you start to see that you reference it. It's amazing when you look at the passage itself, how that name jumps off and now has a whole different perspective. David Scott Tories. My name. Whoa, (laughs) you're right. I'd come a running, or I did not do something good. Okay? If you look at that in those passages, is that when Peter was not being the rock, it was that subtle reminder. David. It's that subtle reminder to remind Peter. And the thing, the verse that just I can connect with this, and that's for you and I. It's the 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, you are, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed, the new things have come. Peter, that's your name. You are new. Why do you keep, why do you keep going back? To that verse, directing him, throw your nets, Simon. You fishermen, you think you know everything? Throw it on the other side of the boat. Well, what function? What function did Peter perform for the disciples? What do you think? And I don't know if you identified that. What function did he serve? We know that he was obviously in this inner circle. And I, I'm not going to break down all of these verses in here, but just to kind of just... What do you think? I, I like that. I like that. He was their spokesperson. He was the first one to ask. He would represent them. In fact, 
which is really great. When you look at some of these passages, and I encourage you to go to them, and what you'll see is here is Jesus will ask a question, okay? And he'll ask it of them, which he means what? All the disciples. And so it's such as is that who do they, they say that I am? And what does Peter say? You are the Christ. And many times, what Jesus would say is, and you look at that, you see a them before, Peter speaking, and then a them after. Which means, Jesus asks a question of them, Peter answers on behalf of them, and then Jesus addresses them based on his answer. He was the spokesman. So many great verses like that when you look before to after how Jesus used it. I love to have those kind of kids in my classes because when he always had the question asking kind of kids, they'd always ask. And it was like just throwing me softballs. You know, here you go. Just throwing me the big ball out there and just whacking them because it's sort of like I knew Liz would always ask the question because she was the spokesman for that table. And she would always just tee it up for me. That's what Jesus, I think Jesus knew that. He, obviously he did about Peter because I want to go back to this verse that you talked about, Liz. The transfiguration. I love that passage. Here they go up to the mountain. Jesus is transfigured right in front of them, right? You remember what Peter said? What's that? Lord, it is good that we're here. What did that mean? In fact, if you go back to that passage and look at it specifically, look at the transfiguration, the Holy Spirit wrote in there because he didn't know what to say. It didn't mean anything. He wanted to like build some tabernacles. You know, let's build some tents for these. He wanted to stay there. He didn't know. But yet Jesus used even that about Peter for his greater purposes. So he was their spokesman without question. He would often say, hey, Jesus, explain that parable for me. That's the softball. Jesus is just looking for the person that's just going to just keep lobbing these big softballs to him to hit out. How often shall my brother sin against me and I, and Jesus used this. You know, he'd ask, he said, Simon and those who were with him. He Specifically in passage, you'll see Simon and those who were with him which is clearly identifying him as this key leader spokesman. And then Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. That's the example that I just gave. Well, let's take a look at some of his character qualities. These are very intriguing to me. The first one is, is that he is a man of, of inquiry. He definitely is this man. Like you know, He's just this question person. He just wants to always want to know. In fact, as I look at Scripture and I look at all the stuff Peter said, all of the things, we just go back. He basically wanted to know, what? When? Where? How? Why? Everything that the Lord did. If you just go back, it's intriguing. But he would, clearly was a, a man of inquiry. And the kind of questions that he asked, obviously, it reveals a great deal about his character. <laughs> he didn't understand. He didn't, and sometimes didn't understand the short parables. But the point was, and I love it, the one about the plant, you know, and he just comes right out and says, Lord... Could you explain that parable? Literally. Could you explain the parable? And for a teacher, exactly how God used that. He was a man of inquiry. Peter, along with James and John and Andrew, sought to know when and how the temple would be destroyed. There was so much in Scripture that even that inquisitiveness 
on the part of Peter, God, Jesus, used it to continue to communicate the message of ultimately His true purpose. Because as you know in the Gospels, that there was a, a distorted understanding of Jesus. They wanted Him to be this leader now. And yet it was future. In fact, that makes all the sense because they rejected this. In fact, it was Peter in his flesh would say, No, Lord, you're not going to die. So he kept, and this is the steadfastness that I was talking about in verse 951. He steadfastly set his face Jerusalem. He was a man of initiative. Boy, you know, it's... Um, it's almost comical, some of the things, and I'm not trying, you know, there's humor in the things. I mean, has anyone in this room, like, just jumped out of a boat wearing your clothes more than once? Anyone? Anyone? I, I, I mean, it's almost comical in some of the things. But yet, he was a man of initiative, and you know what? Uh, some of you know my daughter, Rachel, and Rachel is, she is a woman of initiative. She has so much energy drive, but Rachel had to be in the middle of everything. Could never be left out. It doesn't matter if you're talking about something, she had to be in the middle. Okay? Rachel, if you're listening, I love you. (laughs) But again, it was Peter who declared, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was a man in the middle, and he made this huge declaration. That point, those, some of those character qualities really serve in great purposes. When Jesus tested the disciples concerning his true identity, Peter was quick to re- react to what he saw in the Mount of Transfiguration. That was the one I was talking about, Liz. He was the first to react to what actually transpired there. These individuals, this character quality of a person that's initiative, he's a man of action. He's a man of initial response. Not quite like John. I think Peter and John were a great balance. When the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Peter drew his sword. You talk about comical, come on. Put a fishing pole in his hand, and he was pretty good. Put a sword in a fisherman's hand. He got the ear, but what was he aiming for? He wasn't aiming for the head. He was aiming for the head. In fact, what happens is Jesus said, put the sword away. (laughs) Put the sword away, Peter. Put it away. He was a man of initiative. He had all this energy. Overzealous. It just was a little misguided. That's all. But you know what? If you're Jesus, you're saying, oh, this is exactly what I want in a leader. Is that level and that quality of initiative and response and drive and energy and zeal. Thirdly, he was a man in the middle. A man in the middle. Even when he denied Christ three times, he remained nearby through his fellow disciples while his other disciples fell away. This is interesting. Um, In Matthew 26, if you want to just turn there, Matthew 26... And the passages begin in verses 56, 58, 69 again through 75. In verse 56 through 58, But all this was done that the scriptures of the the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And when he went in and sat with the servants to see the end, and it continues on that point. 
Now this is interesting because they all said they all fled and they ran away. The disciples when he was arrested, and if you were to understand the context of this and look closely at it, is that they went to Caiaphas' house into this courtyard. And it was not just like an open area. He had to get into this courtyard. Like he had to have a pass of some sort or know somebody. And so that's huge because he was able to get inside the courtyard. A couple couple things transpired in there. One was the eye shot of Luke 22. But also is that he got in there and that's where he was sitting at the fire. Why am I say that? Because... He was still drawn to Jesus, despite everything that was going on with him. Even though everyone else fled, he was a man in the middle. He was there, he was attracted still to Jesus. When Peter and John learned of Jesus' resurrection, they both ran. This was a funny one, this is a more humor again, comical, is that, what happened? As soon as they heard about it, Peter and John jumped up, they started running, but Peter, having a torn ACL, you know, he's running. And John beats him there by a mile. But yet, it's that, the point is, is this literally, this just drive. Even though, so that separated him somewhat from the other disciples. Peter went in. And you know what? There, I think there's a great relationship between the two of them. You talk about balancing God works to orchestrate relationships and balance. There was a, a great balance between John and Peter. That's a whole other study. But I think that's a great match. Was there some subjection? Or even on John's part, a little bit of fear, timidity, awe, not really uncertainty. And Peter just, get out of the way. Let me get in there and take a look. Myself. That's right. Fresh legs. I'm going to go through these last... Uh, these last page is pretty quick here, just to close out our time, and then we're gonna, I'm going to use these to benchmark um, some of our focus next week. The attitudes that he learned. He learned Peter received revelation. Is When we go through this, we'll talk more about it, but here is this, in, especially in that Matthew passage, where Jesus, Peter was the first that confessed that Jesus was the Christ, and this is what Jesus said, the Father revealed it to him. This was revelation. Peter received honor. He received honor. And with this honor, this says, you are Peter, John, you were saying before, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build the church. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Honor. Peter was the object of rebuke and rejection. Whoa. To be called rock, and upon you I will build my church, in one statement, and then shortly after, say, Get behind me, Satan. Gives me chills. <laughs> That's rebuke and rejection right from the Lord. Peter was commissioned in John 21 that Linda read. He was commissioned three times to go to tend his sheep. Peter learned about submissiveness. Bob's very verse that he talked about with the taxes. He learned about civil authority. And Peter, being misguided, learned a valuable lesson about subjection to government. And Peter learned about self-control. Boy, in that garden, put the sword away. Quote, Peter learned about humility. Peter learned about, he boasted. How often would Peter say, even if all should fall away, may it never be 
that I would ever fall asleep. I would ever forsake you, Lord. I will never leave you. Someone needs to tell him, Peter, never use never. He learned humility. He learned sacrifice. He had to learn sacrifice. The second time when Jesus commanded Peter to follow him, and Peter learned to obey whatever the cost. He learned about love in John 21. It's a great, great reminder for him. And then finally, he learned about courage. He learned about courage because as Jesus was walking on the water, in fact, he asked for permission to say, Jesus, command that I come out there with you. It took some courage to do that. But he learned about courage. And so Peter, he was quite a man. Today, it was just an intro. But it gives you a glimpse of some of the things that Mark and I hope to be able to unpack about not only the author, how the Holy Spirit works, how He prepares Him, but how ultimately as we start to go through these, these two epistles. And I'm reminded of this, this old hymn, Come Thy Found a Very Blessing. Can you read the words up there? Doesn't it kind of just make it a, a life hymn for Peter? <laughs> that stanza, O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. Take my heart, O God. Take and seal it for thy courts above. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this this great uh, time of being able to just open and to examine the life of this man that you have called. Father, it just gives us such great hope. In the confidence of your word, and the confidence of the work that you accomplished through this saint that you called. Lord, thank you for the great privilege that we have to open your word. And Father, that we would be even challenged as we leave here and look forward with great anticipation for what you have for us. And so we thank you. All praise and honor goes always out to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, next week, part two of of Peter the man that God will use in the transformation. So we'll continue with that. Thanks for your time today.